Hi, and welcome to episode 126 of the Untethered Podcast. It's me, your host, Hallie Bulkin. And today we are going to jump right on into talking about feeding versus OMDs. Why? Well, this comes up a lot and there is definitely a connection between TOTS, tethered oral tissues, pediatric feeding cases, and orofacial myofunctional disorders. So let's jump in. Real quick, if you're listening to this on August 30th, today is a day that the doors to Feed the Peds open at 9 a.m. Eastern time. If you're going to be joining us, you'll want to go to feedthepeds.com to jump on in and secure your spot ASAP. There are some amazing bonuses that we are giving away within the first 24 hours. So definitely don't want to miss that. If you're listening in the middle of the week, don't worry. There's still a bunch of bonuses for you too, but the most amount will be received in the first 24 hours between 9 a.m. on Monday, August 24th and 9 a.m. on Tuesday, August 31st. Feedthepeds.com. All right, let's jump in. Quick disclaimer, all information, content, and material of this podcast are the opinions of the speakers and is for the informational purpose only and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome to the Untethered Podcast. I am your host, Hallie Balkin. I'm a certified orofacial myologist, feeding specialist, and mentor. This podcast is all about getting your questions answered and collaborating with colleagues to bring you the most up-to-date information in the orofacial myofunctional therapy, tethered oral tissue, and airway space. I challenge you to keep an open mind and join my mission to get this information out to the masses. Let's get started. Okay, so as a pediatric feeding specialist, I have definitely assessed a fair share of infants, toddlers, preschoolers, you know, births to five years of age or so who have had a combination of feeding challenges, okay? We're talking feeding challenges, tethered oral tissues, and or an orofacial myofunctional disorder, because those are present at birth as well. Many people don't realize this, but they are. Um, I've also worked with the more traditional myofunctional therapy cases from four years of age through adults. And regardless of the age of the patient in front of you, a common theme that I have encountered is the lack of awareness that all three of these diagnoses, right? Feeding disorders, tethered oral tissues, orofacial myofunctional disorders, are frequently present at birth, as I just told you a minute ago, <laughs> right? So in infants, we may see ankyloglossia, or tongue tie, uh, lead to a, a tongue that is tethered to the floor of the mouth, like we talk about all the time on this podcast. And we know, if you've been listening to me for some while, that that's going to impair the range of motion. We also might know notice that the tip of the tongue may not elevate when an infant cries. Um, the tongue may be unable to suction to the palate, right, to the top of the mouth. It may be unable to cup around a breast or bottle nipple. That tongue needs to... to um, cup with the lateral borders, the side of the tongue, elevating, you know, cupping around a breast or bottle uh, nipple to, you know, pull the, the fluid out. Or it may have trouble lateralizing when stimulated, which is a reflex. So how does this manifest? Well, this may manifest as a decreased flow of milk from the breast or bottle, and maybe mom will appear to have supply issues that are not actually her fault. It's that baby can't 
tell her body, it can't demand the amount of milk that it needs because it's inefficiently pulling milk from mom's body, right? Um, and later it can turn into a munch chewing pattern that doesn't develop into a rotary chewing pattern or a diagonal chew pattern, especially when that tongue cannot lateralize food across molars to prep a bolus, right? And if you're new to all this, like a food bolus is basically a combination, really gross for some people, but cool for others, like, you know, feeding geeks like me, it's a combination of your saliva and the chewed up food, which creates that quote unquote food bolus or bowl of food on the center of your tongue that's ready to be swallowed. Now, as the to as a toddler continues to consume solid foods, we also might see some single-sided chewing, some large bites of food or overstuffing of the mouth, very common in a lot of our kiddos, um, pocketing of food in the cheeks, tongue dumping. So that's where the tongue doesn't move kind of like flatter in a flat position sideways. Instead, the tongue flips itself on its side, kind of like a dump truck, and we call it dumping, where they basically flip the food off the tongue onto the molars instead of moving it over, um, you know, lateralizing the tongue with it remaining on the same plane. And of course, the ever-discussed tongue thrust that people refer, you know, kids get referred to speech pathologists all the time for tongue thrust. Well, the tongue thrust may be pushing against or between the teeth when swallowing to create the needed negative pressure to complete a swallow, okay? So the tongue should be up on the top of the mouth, the roof of the mouth, the palate, whatever you wanna call it. It should be up there sealing off the mouth, right? Sealing things off so that the tongue and the palate make contact. It seals off that small space in order to swallow back the food that's been prepped, the food bolus. And when it can't do that, when it can't create that negative pressure, it has to find another solution. And that solution is why the tongue pushes forward against the teeth to close off all the spaces between the teeth and or pushes between the lips to close it off. If the teeth is not, if that's not good enough and not working, then the tongue will go even further and seal off the lips to again, create that negative pressure needed in the mouth. Okay, but these are, this is just a few examples of what might be observed. Like, yeah, there is a much longer list of symptoms, but these are some of the common ones that we discuss frequently with families, with other therapists. And so I wanted to highlight some of what we might see in this population. Now, also with ankylolabia or lip tie, we see a whole different list of symptoms, okay? So this might be anything from, like when you're thinking about our infants, like a shallow latch that restricts the flow of milk from breast or bottle, um, to aerophasia, okay? Which is aerophasia-induced reflux, AIR, which oftentimes is, and this is when you're swallowing air during feeds, um, again, often related to tetheral tissues. And this is frequently misdiagnosed as gastroesophageal reflux, G-E-R, not GERD with a D on the end, but GER, G-E-R, um, if you wanna look that up. And liquid, leakage also of liquid, saliva, food bolus, once they've moved on to solid foods, also very common. Now, some infants and toddlers, you know, up through the preschool age will struggle to drink from an open or a straw cup starting at six months of age, right? We all recommend, you've heard me recommend recently that we want to introduce open cups by six months of age. And then a couple months later, we'll introduce straw cups. We wanna skip those sip, sippy or 360 cups. But what if they're struggling to do this, right? You've introduced it a whole bunch of times. You've tried trial different ways of introducing it. It's not working, it's not going well. Well, we need to start looking at why. 
Let's look at the mouth. Let's look at their rest posture. What do I mean by that? Look at their mouth when they're playing, not when they're eating or speaking or trying to communicate, but when they're just playing, doing a passive activity, or when they're sleeping, and really we want to look at both sleep and awake, what is their mouth doing? Because if they have an open mouth posture at rest, meaning the lips are not closed together, the lips are open apart, then that's a problem. We need to be talking about that. So if they have, they may have this open mouth posture at rest, they might be struggling to achieve that closed mouth posture with the lips together while awake or asleep or when swallowing, okay, or all of the above. And these children tend to experience an increase in illness as well due to bacteria entering intraorally as compared to being filtered through the nose. Our nose filters things. It keeps germs out. Our mouth doesn't do that. Our nose also does other things too. But that's why it's so important to nasal breathe. And again, this is not an exhaustive list. This is just some of the common symptoms we see. So yes, these lists are not exhaustive, but clearly it demonstrates the relationship between pediatric feeding disorders, tethered oral tissues, and orofacial myofunctional disorders. And the way in which we assess for and treat these symptoms really differs depending on the age of the child, okay? So neurotypical children who are 36 months of age or under are still developing their oral sensory motor feeding skills. What does this mean? If you're going to treat them under the age of 36 months, arguably even under the age of four years of age, it's really, this is really pediatric feeding. This is not myo. We ca- I call it to call it pediatric feeding with a twist of tots and myo because we need to have this knowledge. We need to still work towards some of these goals, but this is not independent of how we treat sensory motor feeding, okay? So this is really the role, for example, of an SLP, a speech language pathologist, or an occupational therapist who is trained in myo. Um, and I say, why do I say this? Well, there's generally... Uh, there's a combination of active and passive exercises or treatment approaches that we use, these therapeutic interventions that we use to achieve these pediatric feeding goals, right? So the problem is that those who are licensed to treat this population, speech language pathologists and occupational therapists, it is, we are the licensed professionals. It is in our scope and not other <laughs> scopes. There are some where um, physical therapists may have feeding within their scope. And so they may also um, do some feeding related activities. But typically, a lot of the PTs that I know are often working on postural changes and not directly working on feeding. Um, But it really, again, depends where you're located. And other countries outside the US physiotherapists are directly involved in feeding. So you need to know like where you're located, who are the uh, professionals who can treat pediatric feeding. uh, And The issue is that these professionals are not always trained in assessment and treatment of pediatric feeding or in tethered oral tissues and or orofacial myofunctional disorders. So we have a problem, right? And this is why we're working to actively change this. When searching for pediatric feeding therapists for our birth to four-year-olds, it's highly recommended that you search for a pediatric feeding therapist who has tethered oral tissue and or myofunctional therapy training as well. Your perfect unicorn has all three, pediatric feeding, tethered oral tissue, and orofacial myofunctional therapy training. Um, because as I said, I call these cases like feeding with a twist of Mayo or feeding with a twist of tots and Mayo. So we do have a directory actually for our pediatric feeding, um, graduates. So feed the peds is 
the course that I teach, and we do cover this and teach this for this population in that course for SLPs and OTs who take that course. And you can go to pediatricfeedingtherapist.com if you're looking for a therapist in your area. If you can't find one, feel free to reach out to us and we can help connect you. But once a child is at the cognitive level, and I say cognitive level because it's not chronological age that, they, oh, they've had a fourth birthday and here they, they're ready to go. No, they need to be functioning at least the cognitive level of a four-year-old. Then they can generally start a traditional myofunctional therapy program with an SLP, an OT, a registered dental hygienist, or a dentist. And that said, this is where differential diagnosis is extremely important, right? It is the job of the receiving provider to ask the right questions, determine if a traditional myofunctional therapy program is the next best and most appropriate approach. Why do I say that? Well, we could have an individual with um, apraxia who is who is cognitively functioning at the level of a four-year-old, but they really need an SLP. They need somebody who works with oral apraxia, um, possibly OTs, but typically it's going to be your SLP who's also trained in myo because that's going to require a very, I mean, myo is individualized, but this is going to be a much higher level of individualization that really needs to be tackled by somebody who can treat both. It looks very different. If you have a patient who has cerebral palsy, that may also be the case. So, you know, and there could be uh, many other diagnoses that we really need to work with a professional who is trained in working with that individual and their diagnosis, in addition to the orofacial myofunctional disorder and feeding challenges that this individual is experiencing. Otherwise, we are doing a major disservice to these these pediatric patients. Um, Now, what else can I tell you? So... We can all agree that correcting the oral rest posture, oral prep, oral face swallow, plus nasal breathing and habit elimination are all up there on the charts of important skills to teach at a young age, right? But the success with a myo program also depends on various factors, as I just explained, you know, and I'm not going to repeat it, but as we just went over. And so like when in doubt, I want you to contact your colleagues and co-treat across specialties, right? So for example, a registered dental hygienist may treat a four-year-old with an OMD through a traditional myo approach and then refer to an SLP, a speech pathologist, to take over when it's time to address any residual speech goals or if the feeding goals go beyond prepping the bolus, okay? And It is the job of the receiving provider to always put patients first and provide them with the best therapeutic approach for their medical needs, right? Team approaches are always the best approach and they get our patients the most effective results in their journey toward optimal health, which is what I preach all the time on this podcast. So we really need to make sure that we are not trying to be the do-it-all person for, or the jack-of-all-trades person for that patient, especially if certain things are out of our scope. And you don't want to just trust every provider out there because there are a lot of people, unfortunately, that work extremely out of scope in this space who say they treat children who are under the age of four cognitively, who treat children with multiple diagnoses, who are medically complex. And truth be told, this is a, it's both illegal and it's also a um, major disservice to the patient and the patient's family. So I share this because I caution individuals to know who you're working with, to do your due diligence, and to work with the provider who is licensed in the therapy or the therapeutic approach that you are looking to engage in for your child. Now, all in all, it's important to remember that toddlers are all are still developing their oral sensory motor feeding skills until at least 
36 months of age, right? So it's critical to understand there that there exists an absolute connection between peed feeding, tots, and myo, but that these pediatric cases require a pediatric feeding with a twist of myo <laughs> approach um, under the care of a pediatric feeding therapist with feeding and ideally tots and myo experience, right? Your SLPs or OTs. So um, I just wanted to highlight this and really um, help delineate who to contact because I get asked at least once or twice a day on social media, like which profession, I'm so confused, like what professional should I contact for this or who do I talk to about that? And I figured it would be really great to just hop on here and give you all the rundown so you understand who you want to seek out and why. And again, you can go to pediatricfeedingtherapist.com, which is where we are um, Feed the Peds grads add themselves after they've graduated. We've had over 900 speech-language pathologists and occupational therapists go through the program. They are not just all over the U.S. and Canada, but they're actually spread across the world. We've got individuals in Europe, in Colombia, in um, Australia. I'm trying to think of where else we have, you know, besides Canada and the U.S., but we have a good number of individuals pretty spread out now that we have over 900 and we're about to, we, doors are open right now if you're listening to this live, August 30th through September 3rd at midnight Eastern time. Go to feedthepeds.com and join us because we know we're going to have well over a thousand of you as soon as this cohort, cohort graduates in 12 weeks. So if you have any questions at all, you can always email us at support at feedthepeds.com if you have questions about Feed the Peds the course. Otherwise, go to feedthepeds.com and join us if you're a parent, again, or a provider looking to find one of these um, unicorn providers who have experience in all three realms, go to pediatricfeedingtherapist.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you want to hear more of these Myo, Tots, Airway, and Feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash the untethered podcast. If you found value, others you know in this space will too. So be sure to share this episode on your social media platforms and join us over on Facebook, on my Facebook page at Hallie Balkan Biz, on Instagram at, at Hallie Balkan, and you can head over to the untetheredpodcast.com to grab a copy of the show notes um, where you can also subscribe to be kept up to date on the latest podcast episodes. 